0: Learn all about investing in real estate in Nashville, Tennessee, with a combination of real estate financial planning and modeling with numbers specific to Nashville, plus syndicated, more generalized recordings of live and pre recorded real estate investing classes, not all of them specific to Nashville. Be sure to stay tuned after the podcast for a message from our sponsors. Well, good morning and welcome, everyone. This is James Orr, and this is a brand new class. Uh, I, I think it's gonna be a really short class, actually, but it is an important class. And that is actually in the title. It is the importance of loan planning for real estate investors. And you're like, loan planning? What is loan planning? Well, there are limitations on how many and what types of loans you can typically get, and also the Preferred order, the order that is going to be optimal for you as certain types of real estate investor, like if you're going to be a nomad or something like that, then there are definitely a order of loans that you may want to consider. And there's probably exceptions to all these things I'm about to say, but it is good to think about this because you could back yourself into a corner and put yourself in a situation where you wish you would have done things differently had you only known. And so this is my opportunity, my my, my way of telling you in advance so that you do know and you can plan around this, okay? So um, before I even begin, I will tell you, these are discussions you should be having with your own lender and your own real estate agent. And so, you know, go sit down with them. And and part of what I think a real estate agent and what a lender should be doing is offering you this type of consultation. They, they shouldn't be, in my opinion, just selling you a house or selling you a loan. They should be helping you plan, helping you kind of like formulate a plan and make sure that you avoid making mistakes down the road. It's not just about getting this deal done, it's about getting to your ultimate goal of being financially independent with real estate, if that is your goal. But whatever that is, you really should be talking to your lender and your real estate agent and kind of getting this plan. Okay, so let's talk about loan planning first. You can get Fannie Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac loans. These are the the quasi-government loans that most lenders sell their loans to. You can get those until you have 10 non-owner-occupant finance properties, okay? So you still gotta be able to qualify for all these, but your personal residence counts as one as well. So if you have a property that you're living in, you can have nine additional non-owner-occupant finance properties and then they're going to cut you off from getting additional non-owner occupant investor finance properties from Fannie, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac. So that's sort of the the rule is that ten finance properties. Now we said that your personal residence counts as one. Any portfolio loans and any other loans you have on like single family homes, condos, townhomes duplexes triplexes fourplexes any loans you have on one to four units they do count against your 10 too even if they are adjustable rate mortgages and balloons so adjustable rate mortgages the interest rate on those loans varies sometimes they'll be fixed for five years and then they vary each year after that sometimes they'll be fixed for three years and they vary after that sometimes they'll be fixed for seven years whatever they are so all of those would count towards your 10 And and any balloons balloon is like you have a loan, and maybe they're the payments are based on it lasting for 30 years. But there is a balloon at 10 years, which means that you need to either refinance or sell the property or pay off the loan at the 10 year point in order to be able to continue with that property. Otherwise, the loan is going to be called due and they're going to foreclose if you don't actually pay it. So Really, those loans, the portfolio loans, any one to four unit loans, they do count against your 10. So, like, what if you're buying properties as an owner occupant, like a nomad, moving into the property, living there for at least a year, and then converting those to a rental property, and then repeating those properties? And maybe you've done that five times so that you have five properties and you're about to move into your six. Well, all of those would count towards your 10 in total. So, realize that all of those loans do count towards your 10. Now, you can get more than 10. If you're buying another owner-occupant property. So let's say you decided you're going to go buy, you know, 10 investment properties. You know, you have a inheritance from mom and dad or, you know, your rich uncle, and they actually allow you to go and, you know, they give you enough money so that you're allowed to go and buy, you know, 10 properties. You've got enough down payments for 10. Are you then, and you get 10 Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac sort of loans, where you're, you're putting 20% down, or 25% down in order to buy those. Can you go buy an 11th property with some type of Fannie, Freddie you know, 30-year fixed-rate financing type of loan? And the answer is, yes, you can, but only if that 11th property is an owner-occupant property. You can buy more than 10, but it has to be an owner-occupant property. So you need to be able to think this through about like how many loans you're going to get and what type of loans you want to get. So if you go and you do, um, and by the way, it's not just number 11, you can do number 15, as an owner-occupant. There's no limit to the number of owner-occupant loans you can get. And you can convert the previous ones you had to investment properties, but you can't initiate a new loan as a non-owner-occupant. You cannot get a new finance property as an investment property beyond loan 10. And that's really what we're talking about. So there's really no hard cap on the number of nomad properties that you can do. Now, you still have to qualify for all these, right? Like you still need to have your debt-to-income ratio. You still need to have the reserves for that. You still need to be able to qualify with your credit score. But there's no limitation on the number of loans you can get that. So why are we even making such a big deal out of all this stuff? You know, like I went and I told you that there's this 10 number, and like it's it's important for you to think about. But like what is the big deal? Why are we so concerned about these Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac-type loans? Well, one of the reasons we're so concerned about them is they are the 30-year fixed-rate loans that you could typically get. If you remember when we talked about all the different loan types we can get, you know, conventional loans and VA loans and USDA loans and um, you know the portfolio loans and commercial loans, if you remember really the concern about a lot of these other bonus loan products that we have, the portfolio loans and commercial loans and all that other stuff, is that they're not usually 30-year fixed rate financing. And so if you are concerned, as I think you should be, I mean, at least a little bit concerned about some type of interest rate risk, you know, having these rental properties that all have variable rate loans on them or adjustable rate mortgages on them, you know, are you concerned about rates going up? It's possible rates can go up. I mean, look at what happened in the last year. Um, And if you think, you know, 7%, well, that's really, really high. We're never going to go above that. Well, you know, I think I did some math. This is probably a year ago now at this point. I made a, uh, a whole new tool for you to be able to put in what the current interest rate is. And then I tell you what percentage of the time interest rates have historically been above that. And right now, I think at like 7%, interest rates have been above that like 50% of the time or more. So realize that we can go a lot higher than where we are today. And if you're getting these adjustable rate mortgages, then you have some type of at least potential interest rate risk. So these 30-year fixed rate loans that you're able to get, the 10 loan spots that you're able to get with these are really, really valuable and really, really important. So you got to be careful about that. And that's why we're talking about thinking this through and doing some loan planning with the help of your real estate agent or your lender to begin with. So after you get to these 10 finance properties, which I'm I'm using 10 to kind of show you that it's like if you're trying to buy another investment property, but as I mentioned, if you're buying another owner-occupant property, you can go above that. But let's just say, after you get to your 10 finance properties, if you want to buy additional investment properties, you're typically using some type of portfolio loan Portfolio loan, just to recap that class, but go watch the class if you want more information, is a loan that the lender is keeping on their books. They're not selling it to another quasi-government organization. So after the 10 finance properties, you need to get a portfolio loan or a commercial loan or you get private financing, which we covered yesterday in detail, or you need to do some creative financing in order to then purchase additional investment properties. By the way, the commercial loans which are typically used when you're buying five units or more, they do not count towards the 10. So if you have an apartment building, you know you bought a 50 unit apartment building, that does not usually count as one of your 10 finance properties. So there's kind of a way to kind of think about that too. So you know some people might use the strategy of, you know, I'm going to go buy whatever it is, 10 investment properties over time, I'm going to wait for the equity to kind of build up in them, you know, some properties going up in value. So they appreciate a little bit, you're paying down the loan. So you're paying down the debt, and your equity is increasing. And then eventually, you might use a 1031 exchange where you sell those properties, move the equity from your properties, and you go buy a, you know, 25 unit apartment building, or 50 unit apartment building, or 100 unit apartment building, whatever you're going to do. And then you could start back over with your Fannie Freddie loans, if you wanted to do it that way. That is a strategy to do, but it's important for you to think through what will my situation look like, what will my number of properties and what loans will I have on them, and what will my cash flow be. I mean, like you're thinking about this whole uh, kind of like process, your your what your vision of what it will look like when you are financially independent, and then you're saying okay. Based on that, how am I going to get there with the loans I have? Which ones of these are going to be my 30-year fixed rate financing loans? Which ones I'm planning to hold long-term and I want to have those really good low interest rate, fixed rate financing loans in place? And which ones am I going to use just as kind of like short-term Uh, rocket boosters to get this really amplified return in the beginning, return on equity in the beginning. And then eventually you're going to sell those off, you know, one, two, three, four, five, 10 years in the future, and utilize that equity to maybe either invest in something else or pay off the existing properties you have or whatever you're going to do there. So understanding what gets you to financial independence and what that looks like for you is important. And then sitting down and figuring out which loans are going to go with which properties is what we're talking about, loan planning how you're going to get those loans, and which ones are going to be there, and what will look like at the end. And if you have to do some really complicated stuff in the middle, what it will look like in each one of those complicated stages. Okay, So use your first 10 loan spots wisely. These are the 30-year fixed rate loans with low interest rates and typically high mortgage balances, especially if you're doing some type of like nothing down, nomad slash house hacking strategy or you know low down nomad versus house hacking type strategy where you're basically buying properties with three percent down three and a half percent down five percent down um or you know nothing down if you're doing usda or va for the first couple ones so make sure you think through these ones because they're the typically the really high mortgage balance ones and they typically have relatively low interest rates compared to the other loan products you can get and their fixed rate financing so have a good loan plan and think that through now one of the considerations when you're thinking about this is, if you know that you only have 10 of these and they're, they tend to be the better loan products you can get, you may wanna think about trying to use larger loan amounts for those if you can. Now, I'm not sure this would be my overriding principle, but if you have a choice, if you're on the fence and it really doesn't matter if you go a little bit larger or a little bit smaller, Using these in order to get a larger loan spot tends to be better. And here's why. Imagine for a minute, you've got 10 loan spots, which you do. And you could use those loan spots to go buy 10 $100,000 properties today. Or you could use those loan spots to go buy 10 $300,000 properties today. If you fast forward into the future, and you bought the 10 $100,000 properties, and they eventually get paid off, And sure, they're appreciating stuff like that, but we're gonna assume that we're talking about in today's dollars, what they're worth. Once they're paid off, you have 10 $100,000 free and clear properties, which is about a million dollars worth of property. However, you got 10 $300,000 loan spots. Now you have 10 free and clear paid off $300,000 properties or about $3 million in net worth. Which would you rather have? Would you rather have a million dollars in net worth or would you rather have $3 million net worth? I know this sounds overly simplified, but that's what we're talking about. If you take larger property, larger valued properties and larger loan balances, and you use those optimally for your fixed rate 30-year financing, that's what we're talking about. The difference is deciding which ones and what size loans you ultimately want to have paid off free and clear at the end. Okay, another little trick if you're doing these. So we've been talking about you're you're limited to 10 30-year fixed rate financing loans from Fannie Mae, Freddie, Mac. And that is typically per person per tax return. And what I mean by that is if you and your spouse are married, even if you got all the loans in your name and your social security number, if you share a tax return, that is typically the most loans you'll be able to get, the 10. However, If you and your spouse are married and you each file tax returns independently, separate tax returns, and you alternate getting the loans, one gets one, the next one you buy, you get the other one, the next one you buy, you get it, the next one to buy, they get it. So basically they go back and forth over and over again until you have 10 loans in your name on your social security number on your tax return, and they have 10 loans in their name on their tax return, then you can get up to 20 in a married couple. But again, you're going to want to check with your underwriter to make sure that your underwriter is interpreting the rules that way and that this is going to be okay with them. Because if they're not, maybe you're checking around with a a few other lenders to make sure that you do this. But if you really know that you're going to want to have more than 20 of these loans, then you could plan that ahead of time and separate them out. You don't want to go like this. This might be one of the more concerning things to do. Kind of like one of the, the pitfalls you might make is you get loans and you don't need your spouse on there to qualify, but you put them on the loan anyway just because you want to have them on the loan. You know, like you feel like you're you're doing this together in a act of solidarity and you decide, "Hey, look, I'm going to put you on the loan so we're going to do this." You don't need to do that if you can qualify for the loan by yourself. Now, you could talk to an attorney to make sure that your state plan is set up such that if you pass away or they pass away, that you're set up correctly, Um, but you don't need to be putting everybody on the loan at the same time. Just take that into account if you're going to be close. Now, if you're in a marketplace where you're like, hey, look, we're talking about, you know, five, like my marketplace right here, we have have $500,000 properties. That's about the price of properties that you're buying for single family homes. And if you know you need, I don't know, six of those in order to be financially independent and you're not planning on buying... Twice as many as you need, then you know letting them grow for a while, and then using the proceeds to sell off half of them to pay off the other half. If you know that you're only going to need six, then we really don't need to do that complicated loan planning. You know, six five hundred thousand dollar properties will get you three million dollars. For a lot of folks, three million dollars of paid off, free and clear properties at the end is going to be enough. Not for everybody, but I think for a lot of folks that would, that number would get you there. Okay, if you're getting. You know, I don't know whatever it is twenty five hundred dollars a month in rent on a property. About a third of that's going to be in operating expenses. So, you know you're probably doing about sixteen hundred dollars a month. You know, sixteen hundred times six. That's what. That's uh, like just over ten thousand dollars a month, adjusted for inflation. That's your net after all expenses on a free and clear property. So, I think for a lot of folks, getting to ten thousand dollars a month would be fine if they were doing that. And that would be six properties. So you don't need to get too complicated if that's your situation. However, if you know you want to do more than that, if you're going to say, look, I want to ultimately have 15 properties or 20 properties or 100 doors or whatever your number is, then you should be planning for this. Okay. All right. So that's what I got on loan planning. We got one more slide on the order of loans if you're doing the nomad strategy. So this is the preferred order if you're doing the nomad strategy. And let's see, Jim says, really like your calculator. Thanks a lot. Yeah, you're welcome, Jim. I'm not sure if you're talking about the world's greatest real estate deal analysis spreadsheet or if you're talking about the real estate financial planner software, but I appreciate the compliment. Yeah, you said yes, but I'm not sure which one of those. The first one. Oh, this the uh, the spreadsheet. Awesome. Great. Glad you like that. That's cool. Okay, so Nomad Loan Planning. So this is the prefer- preferred order if you have the ability to do this preferred order, and sometimes you don't. Like, for example, I'm going to recommend if you have the ability to get a VA loan, that's the one I recommend you get first. What if you don't have VA eligibility? What if you're not a veteran and you didn't serve in the military? You can consider joining the military and serving and getting that benefit. Or you could just say, hey, look, I don't have VA benefit. I'm going to move on to the next one. That's what I think you should do. So here's my preferred order for doing the nomad real estate strategy with loans. Okay. So if you can, Buy a multifamily property, a duplex, triplex, or a fourplex with a VA loan. That's a nothing down loan program that you can buy single family homes with condos, townhomes. Plus, in addition, you could buy a duplex, triplex, or fourplex as long as you move into one of the units. So if you're doing the nomad strategy where you're moving into a property, you're living there for a year or more, and then you're converting that property to a rental. My first loan, the first property you should buy in an ideal world. And I will tell you, it rarely works out that you're able to do this in an ideal world, but I'll talk about that here in a second. So in the ideal world, you do the VA loan first and you buy a fourplex. What if you can't find a fourplex in a reasonable amount of time where the numbers work or that you have you know, enough of reserves or enough of your VA benefit in order to be able to get that? Well, then think about a triplex. Well, I can't find a triplex. Think about a duplex. Can't do that. Okay, but think about a single family home. Okay, so kind of like move down the line based on what you can find a reasonable amount of time with the stuff you've got. Then once you've got your VA property, you live there for a year or however long it takes you to save up 3.5% down in order to get the next property. And then the next one you should get, you should move from your multifamily VA property to a multifamily FHA loan. FHA is a 3.5% down loan program. You can buy single family homes, condos, townhomes. And additionally, you could buy duplexes, triplexes, and fourplexes as long as you move into one of the units. So you could do this 3.5% down FHA loan On those properties. Now, why do we do multifamily to multifamily? Because most underwriters are going to give you pushback if you try to move from a condo or a townhome or a single family home into a duplex, triplex, or fourplex. They're going to scratch their head and they may deny you the loan saying, It doesn't make sense. I don't believe that you're going to move into a property. Why would anyone in their right mind move from a really nice single family home into a fourplex? So they may tell you, We don't believe you. We're not going to approve you for that loan. So you may find an underwriter who's willing to make that exception. And as far as I know, there's no hard rule about that. But most underwriters are going to give you pushback if you try to move from a single family home, condo or townhome into some type of multifamily property. So what we do is we start with the multifamily property and we continue to move from one multifamily property to another because that's not a stretch. Moving from a fourplex into another fourplex, not a big deal. Moving from a duplex into a threeplex or a fourplex, probably not a big deal. For most underwriters so just be aware that we try to do these multi-family properties first and then we move on to the single family homes so to recap so far some type of va loan nothing down loan program ideally a multi-family property with that fourplex threeplex twoplex you can't do five or above you can't do those types of loans with va or fha those are considered commercial loans and you don't move into those but for the fourplex triplex or duplex you can do those if you have to do a single family home condo or townhome to do what you have to do. But if you can, we probably prefer duplex, triplex, or fourplex. This is part of that loan planning, getting the big loans up front for these long-term fixed rate financing, right? So multifamily VA first, duplex, triplex, fourplex, then do a multifamily FHA next, duplex, triplex, fourplex, ideally. If you have to do single family home, condor, ten home, do that. Then after we get through those, then we move on to conventional financing or... In some really rare exceptions, if you've lived in the FHA loan long enough, or the property values have gone up fast enough, sometimes you can refinance the FHA loan into a conventional loan, then do another FHA loan as well. So... Sometimes you can only usually have one FHA loan at a time. So sometimes when you have enough equity, you know, you get 20% of equity, maybe you bought it at a big discount or some combination, you bought it at a discount, property values have gone up, you have paid down on the loan. And now you're looking at, you know, 20% of equity on that property or 25% of equity in that property. You might be able to refinance out into a conventional loan. Then you've got, you freed up your FHA loan spot again, and you could repeat the process and buy another property with FHA. It's unusual to be able to do that. And similarly, I didn't mention this, but I probably should have. Similarly, the VA loan is not limited to one loan, it's limited to a certain dollar amount. So you have a certain dollar amount of benefit. And so if you're under that benefit that you could use, sometimes you could use that benefit again and buy a second property with the VA loan as long as your benefit there. Go talk to your lender to find out what the benefit amount is and how that works in your local marketplace. They'll, they'll explain it to you. Okay, so VA loan, FHA loan, conventional loan, and then we're, we're typically using the conventional loan with either Three percent down for the first one, which is really hard to do once you have multiple properties. Or more likely, you're going to do five percent down conventional loan products, and you're going to buy as many of these as you want because there's no limit to the ten you can do. Like with when you're doing owner occupant, you can go above ten. If you're doing non owner occupant, if you were going to try to put you know twenty percent, fifteen percent down with PMI or twenty percent down and buy these and not move into them, you would be limited to ten. And the FHA and the VA loans that you already have would count toward those ten. Okay. So that's why we do it in that order. Now, owner-occupant financing, what we've been talking about moving into properties, you must move in. Now, there are some people that are gonna listen to this. and They're gonna be like, you know, James, I'm gonna improve on your nomad strategy. I'm gonna kind of tweak it a little bit. And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna tell them I'm moving in. But then like after I close there's going to be something that happens to me where I'm not going to be able to move in. Like, you know, I changed my mind or, you know, I decided to get married and I'm moving in with my girlfriend and we're going to share a property then. So I technically am not going to have to move into the property and that's how I'm going to speed it up. You know, I'm basically going to, I'm going to, I'm going to tell them I'm getting an owner occupant property. I'm going to get an owner occupant loan, but then I'm going to either move in for a really short period of time, like a week, or I'm not going to move in at all. And I'm going to sort of like trick the system because I, I, I know that I could do this. What you're talking about doing, it's called loan fraud, and you can go to prison for it, okay? It's occupancy fraud, it's a type of loan fraud, and yes, lenders do check. You know, when I teach this class, and I talk about this live with other people, we have a lot of people in the room that are doing the nomad strategy where they're moving into properties. So I do a poll of the room. I'm like, okay, let's see. So of the people here that have done this nomad strategy where they've they've got an owner-occupant loan, they moved into the property, and they're living there for the first year, how many have had a lender come and check to make sure that you're living in the property? And like half the room's hands go up. Yep, they do check. So if you think you're gonna sort of pull a fast one on the lender, first of all, why would you do that? You've got a partner in a lender who's gonna loan you, you know, 95% Or 96.5% if you're doing an FHA loan or 100% if you're doing a VA loan, you've got a partner who's willing to loan you literally millions of dollars to do this strategy to help you become like financially independent and rich and what you want to do your first instinct is let's screw them over. What are you thinking? You've got a partner who's willing to give you these 95% of the money in order to do these deals, or in some cases 100% of the money to these deals, and your instinct is, let's screw my partner over? That's horrible. So don't do that. You know, follow the rules, do it right, and just be successful doing it, okay? So off my soapbox. That is what we typically recommend for loan planning. Uh, I'm going to do the conclusion here. I've got a few people on live. Uh, Doing a conclusion here, if you've got questions about this particular topic, loan planning or the order you do loans for the nomad strategy, go ahead and cue those up in the chat and I'm happy to answer those. But in conclusion, planning your loans can help you avoid unexpected limiting surprises later. You don't want to get to the point where, you know, you're you're doing your process and you know that you want to do 14 of these things and then you didn't realize that you're only going to be able to do 10 conventional fixed rate financing loans. You want to plan for that. Taking a few minutes up front. And this, we're not talking about spending days doing this, right? Like this is a, a meeting with the lender, you know, like once a year, maybe in order to make sure that, you know, you're on track for the type of loans and make sure that any policies didn't change or any programs didn't change or whatever you're doing. But taking a few minutes up front to discuss this with your lender and maybe to a lesser degree, your real estate agent, because your real estate agent may have some more insight or different insight than your lender have. You know, this could save you a lot of money, a lot of frustration and a lot of heartache later. And so that's why we do a a very short segment on this. And that's why we make a big deal and explain to you what is going on and why there's limitations there. So lay out your plan, or if you're unwilling or unable to do that, at least utilize the general best practices that we've outlined in this presentation. That's all I got. It doesn't seem like anyone's got any questions. I do appreciate you guys coming on live. Um, This has been James Orr. Have a great day, everybody. Bye-bye for now. With home prices up,